Thanks for coming to this incredibly special day at St. John's Church. I intend this morning um, to speak directly and transparently about where we are today and how we've gotten here. It is my intention to start in the head and then to move into the heart. And to be honest, over the course of the last five years in my own life, in my own spiritual life, I've spent so much time in my heart that it's really hard for me to get into my head these days. I know it's important, though, and I want to give you a sense of like how we're thinking through this project rather than just how we're feeling our way through this project so that you might have some sense of confidence in the work that we've already done and the work that we have ahead and that you might have some enthusiasm around the idea that this good work that we're doing will be brought to a successful conclusion. Long before I arrived at St. John's Episcopal Church, a group of leadership got together and began to dream about what would happen on the southern end of our campus with the Browse and Buy campaign. I'll be honest, I don't know how many of you or exactly who you are in this room who were a part of that process because it was a few years before I arrived here. But there was some formal think tanking that happened around how we might utilize this wonderful tool in our toolbox. What many of you have a sense of already, if you sit the pews in a mainline denominational church like St. John's Episcopal Church, is that the church is experiencing decline. I spent the better part of um, the first half of my career very worried about that decline until I arrived in my heart and awakened to the reality that death is at the center of our story. And the expectation is that we will experience a reemergence, a resurrection in some powerful way. And I encouraged myself to really sit down in that place, in that place of faith, expecting the Holy Spirit to arrive on our doorstep, both as the Episcopal Church at St. John's, which for the most part has weathered that decline, but but certainly sits in a diocese that, that experiences that reality, that shifting, that dying of the way that we have done things in the past. One of the tools in our toolbox that has helped us um, make these micro to mid-range adjustments around the way that we do mission and ministry here is this tool that we have with Browse and Buy. Browse and Buy is about a million dollar a year annual business that brings a little bit less than a half a million dollars back into the, the St. John's Episcopal Church budget, which allows us then to be incredibly, remarkably generous back to the community of Jackson Hole and well beyond. When I was interviewing for the job, um, I arrived in Jackson Hole for a first formal interview. Cindy 
uh, was along with me for a ride. There were some meetings that we did together and some dinners that we had together. I sat down right next to Daryl Padel at that first meeting um, over at local, and we began to share um, uh, exchange information about one another and began to connect and have grown to be great friends. And then there were some things that I just did on my own. And for the most part that I did with Jan Henderson and Cody Miller, who are, were at the time the senior warden and the junior warden, there is some level of confidentiality around rector searches. And that's important. And so Jan and Cody would kind of scurry me around from one building to another, hoping that I wouldn't be recognized. I will say, when Lindy and Daryl came uh, to visit the church that I was serving in Santa Monica, California, to do a site visit, which is a part of the search process, there was another woman who was a regular attender of my church in Santa Monica from Jackson Hole, whose son lived in Santa Monica. And I watched these two converge. I'll just say, you, you know, small town, right? It was Kay Brockermeyer. Some, some of you know Kay Brockermeyer. And here come Lindy and Daryl, these, these new people that I've met. And here comes Kay, and Kay looks over and goes, I know why y'all are here, and just kept walking. <laughs> it was a wonderful moment. It's like, okay, shh. <laughs> Jan and Cody scurried me down to the basement of this building into our library, and they unfurled some blueprints. And they showed me some plans for a grand design, a redesign of Browse, along with some other components that would support the human community here in Jackson Hole. And those agencies, those nonprofits, and those people who have a desire to help human beings in Jackson Hole. And they, they gave me maybe a 12-minute review of what the think tank process had been like. And they said, what do you think? And you know, you're in that job interview process and it's like you come to thresholds as you're interviewing for jobs from time to time. And it was one of those thresholds where I was like, well, I could BS my way through this a little bit, but I think maybe I just ought to be honest. And so I looked at them and I said, look, I'm just going to be honest. I don't live here. And I, don't, I know the community as a tourist, but not as a resident. So I don't know what to think. But if you're asking me, if I'm an ambitious person, I would say, yes, I am. I'm ambitious for the kingdom of God. And if you are looking for a leader with that orientation, maybe I'm the right one. Are you a church that is ambitious for the kingdom of God? And they responded with wonderful history around the way that this particular parish has served the community of Jackson Hole since the very beginning, since even before the beginning of the parish itself. Fast forward a few months, the Bartz family arrives here, 
And we begin to have conversations about this, informal conversations with groups of leaders. I, with staff and vestry, walked this campus knowing that there would be a period of time where I had fresh eyes and that ultimately those eyes would no longer be fresh and I would become used to the cracks in the walls or the doorknobs that don't work or the toilet that requires a little extra jiggle, that kind of thing that we get used to in our own homes, and I wouldn't see what I see anymore. But the thing that just kept coming to me with those fresh eyes was that if you come in need, if you come to this campus in need we most likely send you below grade if you need groceries, if you're trying to stay sober or you're working on your recovery or you're supporting those who are already in recovery, we send you below grade. Now, here's the deal. We do that generously because that's the space that we have. But it sure would be nice to give you groceries without walking down concrete steps in the wintertime and without walking back up those steps. And so those became the, the thoughts that we began to think creatively in how we might engage a new project, what we might include in the redesign of this browse and buy building. And then at the same moment, if we were addressing the browse and buy building, how we could take that sharp tool and we could make it even sharper so that we might more lovingly more compassionately serve the community of Jackson Hole with the same love and vigor of the people who first came to this valley with the intention of starting a church here. We began to make some progress on that work until COVID hit. And COVID shut every plan we had down not just for browse and buy, but for everything. You know, it might have seemed from the like iPhone video that you saw of Mary and and Brian and I sitting up here that everything was okay at the beginning of COVID, but it wasn't. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how you were. We didn't know how we were. We didn't know how long this was gonna last. And it just lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted until finally we emerged out of COVID. Or at least we thought we were merging out of COVID, but we weren't really sure, right? We were trying to find our way forward at a moment in time in a historical era where we didn't, we, we didn't have any certainty around what things would look like. So this browse and buy campaign began to get whispered back into the conversations of leadership in this church. And I'll just be absolutely honest. We stacked hands and said we were going to go for this at a time where there was still a lot of uncertainty, like 55% uncertainty. Like, I just, yeah, okay. Well, okay, yeah, let's do it. We engaged in a process where we interviewed a number of um, campaign consultant businesses that might support our work and 
we as a vestry interviewed two of them. I talked to a million of them, and some other folks did too, and we eventually landed on James D. Cloten Associates, mostly because both their track record of success and then also I have had a wonderful personal relationship with Jim Clote serving on um, a Yale board with him. Um, knowing and, and Jim ha- had known about our project and had stayed in touch with, with me over the course of those years. We brought Glendon Smith out from James D. Clote Associates about a year ago, um, and we engaged in a feasibility study. We asked a little bit more than 100 people of like, hey, like we have some ideas around this. What do you think? And for the most part, mostly, not completely, not totally, not unanimously, but for the most part, this community was incredibly enthusiastic about the plans that we are hatching. And so we swallowed big um, in October. We put our heads together in vestry Um, We tussled. We had some conflict, some good, healthy, rich conflict. Aren't you hungry for that? Don't you want to get back to a time where we can disagree with one another and still love one another and still collaborate with one another? We had some robust conversations, and we began the work of the quiet phase of a capital campaign. And I need to say something about that too transparently. We're still in our heads here, right? Some of you are like, why all the secrets? Why all the quiet? Why, like, why aren't we just like going for this goal? Well, it's a strategy. It's a proven strategy to go in and do things in advance, quietly, to, to, to test the waters, to see if the resource is here, both the heart resource and the money resource for us to do the work that we need to do. It is that quiet phase that comes to an end today that gives us the confidence that we will have ultimately, that we will have success in delivering this incredibly beautiful tool into St. John's toolbox and into the toolbox of the community of Jackson Hole. That is how we got to this, this morning. Where are we today? We're in a wonderful place. It makes my heart so full and so soft and so open to tell you that with this ambitious campaign that has a goal of raising about $18 million, this morning we have nine million one hundred. 27,344 dollars already pledged to this campaign. Wow. That is a mountain of money. And it is here because of the leadership who have come together and organized this campaign. And it is here because some of you have been so incredibly generous in making early pledges to this campaign. And it is here because of the DNA of St. John's Episcopal Church.
I can tell you that for more than 10 years, I've worked twice a month with an executive coach. I work with a woman who was in California and is now in Maine, and I was in California, and I'm now in Wyoming, and we have a wonderful relationship. And Whitney helps coach me through professional decisions. She was right alongside me when I was discerning about whether to make a move from Los Angeles to Jackson, and she has been with me every month in engaging my professional career here in Jackson. And Whitney and I were meeting a couple of weeks ago, and I was giving her sort of like uh, an early update on the advance of our campaign and its success. And very early in her career, um, Whitney was a fundraiser for Stanford University and ran a number of campaigns there. So she has some skill and some experience there, and we were having fun, and she was like, oh, you got to listen to this TED Talk. This woman, Elizabeth Dunn, she's so compelling, and she's talking exactly what, about what you're talking about. So she sent me the link, and I dialed in to a TED Talk by a woman named Elizabeth Dunn, who's a social psychologist. She's a Canadian who did undergrad at Harvard and then went and did her PhD in social psychology at the University of Virginia. And Elizabeth Dunn is a happiness researcher. And I was like, I already feel pretty happy. I wonder why Whitney's sending me this. Um, so I listened to what she said, and, and then I later discover Elizabeth um, teamed up with a guy named Michael Norton, who is a professor at Harvard Business School. Um, and together, those two wrote a book called Happy Money. And one of the things that they discovered in their research is that people who are generous to supporting other people with their money are happier than most other people who don't support other people with their money. And their work together was just kind of idea of like, how do you use the financial resource that you have in order to increase your personal and familial happiness? That leads Elizabeth Dunn down this road to trying to figure out what the, what the connection between happiness and giving is. And she discovers through her research that um, it is absolutely true that people who give of their financial resource measure to be happier than those who don't. And sometimes it correlates to a happiness level of having twice as much money that you normally would have. So that's the correlation. But, 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 here's what she discovered. It's not people who give in isolation. So there is a, there is a how-to when it comes to giving that correlates with happiness. It's people who give together in groups for projects that mean something to the group that inherit the benefit of this giving happiness. It is something that over the course of the last 10 days, I have, my words, not Elizabeth Dunn's, um, I've been calling collaborative generosity. It is this idea of when one of your friends comes in and says, hey, um, I know this family that is struggling here. They, you know, dad broke his leg on the work site. 
Um, they're struggling here. They need a little extra help. Do you think that you and I and Carter and Trey and Josh all might be able to get together, um, raise a little resource to help these people out? Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, Blake. Let's do that. Let's join together. It's that kind of generosity that delivers happiness. Still in the head, right? What I also know as a preacher, someone who regularly talks about encouraging you to give of your financial resource, is that this is not a rational decision that you make. Um, there is some benefit, and there's some cool, interesting people who are studying that benefit, and they're like, mmm, data, like, whoa, look at that, it correlates with happiness. And then people who, like us who like sit in rooms, we're like, well, of course it makes you happy. That's why we do it, right? I want to tell you the story of collaborative generosity. There were two brothers, Butch and Ed Robinson. In 1913, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Butch and Ed Robinson spend the summer in the forest. They are harvesting logs. In their harvest, they drag those logs back to this campus where they strip those logs and they prepare those logs to be the building that is the f not the first building on our campus, but the first ever dedicated chapel building on our campus. If you, not you, if any of your relatives were around during that time, around the turn of the 20th century, you know that this was a hard scrabble place to live. The 65 to 90 days that we have during the summer was used to literally put hay in the barn and to stack wood on your porch so you might make it through the winter. But these two brothers spent the summer harvesting logs for a chapel building that would eventually be built and opened in 1915. For over a hundred years, those logs on the inside of that chapel have been soaked with the prayers of this community. There is a celebration and a sorrow in every crack and corner of that log building. And it is there because of the collaborative generosity of two brothers and a very few people who came before them and tons of people who came after them just like you. This reading from the 25th chapter of Matthew that you heard Mary read 
It's a familiar one, right? We know that middle section of like, Lord, Lord, when was it that we serve? I don't ever remember making you a cheeseburger or giving you a Coke or bailing you out of jail. Well, it happened when it was the least of these, when, it, when you did it for the least of one of these, my children. But that preamble that you get, it's that preamble that is so beautiful and so important to our story. Come, come and inherit the kingdom that is built for you. Ed and Butch began a legacy of love, one that has benefited us, those of us who sit these pews, one that has most certainly benefited the community of Jackson. And look, if you don't really like feel the impact, if you don't have a sense of what this church has done for this community, the enormity of love spreading difference that this place has made on the community of Jackson, then you are just like those guys Jesus was talking to, right? When was it that no, no, Jesus, no, this is just what we do, right? We fund a pair of glasses for a guy who's super down on his luck and can't make that happen knowing that he needs that support and that resource. We set a broken leg in a log hospital in 1925 on this campus because the leg needed to be set and healthcare needed to happen in this valley. We collected books and yeah, yeah, we started a little library because you know, we know it's important that people learn to read and get an education, but it was, you know, it was nothing fancy. It was not a big deal. You know, like, I, I mean, do you know, do you know that a, 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 a Scot turned Wyoming picks up two huge blue bags filled with feminine hygiene products once a week and delivers them to grocery store bathrooms. Now, he doesn't go in, right? He has to kind of hang out, be the weird guy, like, hey, can you like get this on the shelf in there? Because I can't go in there. Do you know that year after year after year, the people who live here come and receive blue bags full of household essentials just to keep the train on the tracks because you bring them every year, year in and year out. Do you know every single winter, every single winter for the last five years, hundreds of kids have been kept warm every winter because you guys Keep coming in with brand new coats. Some of you don't even come in with them. You just like lands in or Amazon like a, a herd of coats <laughs> into the church office so that we might hang them up on trees with a tag that says, if you need me, take me. 
If you need, if your child needs to be warm, take this coat. Take it off the hanger. Please leave the hanger. It's hard to find wire hangers. <laughs> Do you know that the pair of blue jeans that you bring into the back door of browse and buy goes on the rack and what it's maybe like five bucks nine bucks Lonnie says <clears throat> do you know that nine dollars you know this term upcycling you know some people say like the stuff that is recycled at browse and buy stuff gets recycled no no it gets upcycled because a pair of blue jeans does not just land on a guy like me. A pair of blue jeans for $9 lovingly lands on a person who generously serves this community in its working class and struggles to stay afloat. It's upcycled. And then $4.50 comes back and it funds like a thousand diapers on the Wind River Indian Reservation, or like a bazillion maxi pads in the library and the Smiths and all the school bathrooms. It is a remarkable piece of work that you have done. This, St. John's, is your legacy of love. We don't spend a lot of time in this church trying to get you to agree with 7.5 out of 10 tenets of the Nicene Creed or to try to get you to understand the, the sometimes appalling atonement theology of the Eucharistic prayer of the Episcopal Church. I'll tell you, man, we've been in year C for what seems like an awfully long time these days. <laughs> and every single time we pray this prayer that comes from these wonderful seminary um, academics and we pray for the fact that God has blessed us with memory, reason, and skill, you can't see me at the altar because, you know, I got my poker face on, but I'm like, and heart and heart, and heart, memory, reason, skill, and heart. The work of God is in our hearts, and it is in our hands. It is the way that we embody the faith. This faith, this Christian faith that we have is in decline because we have spent so much time in here. You know, how many times have you said, or have I said, or has someone else said like, oh, he's a believer. Well, great. <laughs> is he a doer? Is she a lover? Is she heart-centered? The heart is the work of this place. Church, we are more than halfway there. 
we have another $9 million to raise, and that is a mountain of money, a mountain of money. I know that we can do this, but the way that we do it, the approach that we are taking matters. And I want to be absolutely clear about our approach. This campaign, this campaign to raise another $9 million, this campaign to build a building that triples the size of Browse and Buy, that has nearly 2,000 square feet for the Jackson cupboard, giving hungry people a dignified way to shop for groceries in person, this new building that creates a suite for the recovery community to use at their discretion in the way that they would like this new building that has two units of housing that we so desperately need, not enough, but what we can do in the building, this work that we are doing is not something to do. We are not doing this over here. This campaign this campaign is who we are. Who we already are. Who we always have been. Butch and Ed and those few people before them and a sea of people afterwards and a wonderful group that will come behind us. This is decidedly not something we are doing. This is simply us being who we are, inheriting the kingdom of God that has been prepared for us already. The life that we were designed for and built for in the very beginning of time when you and I and everyone before us and everyone after us were crafted, stamped, marked with the image of God who we know to be love. I know that in a few more years, we will have an amazing, sharpened, rebuilt tool in our toolbox that will lovingly, generously, compassionately, kindly serve this community for more than five decades in advance of us. We don't know about the generations to come, but we do know who we are today. Children chosen and marked by love, the delight of God's life. Amen.